Yes, I wish I had had a camera on John's face when he was listening to that. Wow, <laughs> that's good stuff. Is wow, a whole sentence. Wow, is a whole sentence. <laughs> oh wow, God. period. Woo, so good yeah. job. Bud. You know, it's one of those things when when he made that unsolicited, and I thought, wow, that's really stupid. And then I walked around for days, just kind of humming it. You need a and knife I, to get the top off. No, oh, I you got, got it. it. Okay, I got cool. It. I had a bottle of Redneck Riviera whiskey that I was going to drink when John Rich showed up, and then uh, he brought me. The Redneck Riviera Granny Rich Reserve. Yes, which is uh, not even available on a shelf in Tennessee yet. It will be in about two weeks. This I will cherish. So, of course, I'm going to crack it open. Absolutely. And gonna... oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Good Don't you love a cork? I do. It's you the know? best. Yeah. It's the best. I'm not I'm not knocking people who drink whiskey with screw tops. No, There's some not. good ones out there. But I know some whiskey snobs who are like, well, if it doesn't have a cork, yeah, okay. But I'll tell you what, man, is... this this stuff, you smell that probably oh, already. Wow. So and I know we're gonna talk all about it, but since you just opened it right off the bat, uh you know, the whole thing was well, how do you improve upon Redneck Revere whiskey? Which is not a cocky thing to say. No, I, seriously, I worked on how it for you... a long time. To get it to be that smooth and have that nose and that kind of finish. And so we finally came around to, well, you know, Granny Rich was the first, well, she was the last final taste tester of Redneck Riviera whiskey. I said, you know, we should ask Granny what's her favorite things about the whiskey and let's expound upon those oh, things. Yeah. And uh, being that uh, Granny Rich is a little older, a little more refined, and I would I would call her a little stronger than most people. <laughs> we basically the, what you're drinking right there, the Granny Rich Reserve, is a more aged version of the original, and it's 86 proof instead of 80 proof. Which Granny was she just turned 87, but she was 86, 86. as we developed That's it. That's great. So you see her uh, picture on the back it's of the got, bottle. It's got it's whiskey nose, is huh? smooth. The nose is so. Oh my gosh. You just—I I didn't drink it. I took—I I smelled it four I mean, times just, before I took a sip because it's just—it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, John, I'm not—you know—this is the twelfth episode of this podcast, and and I—I've said from the beginning, my goal for the first season of this year was to have you in at some point early to talk about this whiskey because I've heard you tell the story, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> I'm a whiskey guy. I like all kinds of whiskey. Sure. That's not true. I like almost all kinds of whiskey, except <laughs> the Isley Malt Scotches. Have you ever, those are the ones that smell like feet. Never and had I'm one like, of those. Oh, no. oh, it's so bad. Um, but I'm not saying this because you're here. I'm not saying this because you're my friend. I'm not saying this because you're a country music singer and I work in country music. This is some incredibly good whiskey. Thank you, man. It, it, so let's start with the Redneck Riviera that people can buy sure. online and in stores all over the country. So... I know the story, but let's pretend I don't. Okay. You you had an idea. Let's let's can we start before that? Sure. How do you trademark the name Redneck Riviera? Okay. If you can, I'd love you to tell that story. Absolutely. So, you know, the phrase Redneck Riviera has been around as early as I can find. It's about 1961-62. And People would say, well, we can't afford to go to the French Riviera, so where are we going to go on vacation? We're going to go to the Redneck Riviera because mm-hmm. we can afford to go there. And by the way, uh, if you gave me the choice between the two, I would also 
like to go to the Gulf Coast. You know, yeah. the food is great. The people are awesome. And yes, you can afford to take your family there. And it gets rowdy at night, but during the day, you can take it's, your family there, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a it's nice, stuck quiet, the best peaceful. of all worlds. And so uh, 11 years ago now, I was down there doing a Big and Rich concert in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I saw the phrase uh, on a guy's ball cap. And then I saw this little kid walk by and had on a tank top. And it said, my parents went to the Redneck Revere and all I got was this tank top. Then I ordered a beer and the girl brings out a beer and it's in a beer koozie and it says gulf shores alabama in the heart of the redneck riviera well i think that's when the songwriter part of my brain kicked in the publisher side i went i wonder who owns that phrase right somebody's bound to own it because i've called it redneck riviera my whole life too and i called my attorney i said find out who owns that so he calls back and he said you're not going to believe it it's never been trademarked and I said, in any capacity, what about barbecue sauce? That was yeah, the first nothing. thing I He said, nothing. I said, well, how do you trademark something? I mean, I know how to publish a song, but how do you, I don't know how to do a trademark. He said, well, what do you want to sell with that phrase on it? I said, ball caps and T-shirts. He goes, okay, that's apparel. That, that's uh, Section 17 or whatever it was. He, goes, he said, you need to build a logo. You need to make what it is you want to sell. You need to sell it across state lines for a while and then you turn in the receipts and see if we can get the trademark so that's what i did and i built out that star with the waves going through it and uh the original phrase it said blue water white sand rednecks redneck riviera <laughs> redneck riviera and that was what was on the t-shirts and the ball caps and i turned that into the trademark office in washington dc yes yeah, that's where all the smart people right live. of course and they denied the trademark my attorney calls back and he says well, now I know why you can't have it, why nobody has it. I said, why is that? He said, they say you can't trademark a geographical location. You can't trademark Nashville. You can't trademark Texas. Mm-hmm. You can't trademark Redneck Riviera. And I said, well, that's the wrong answer. And he said— <laughs> This is why I wanted you to tell this story, because I, you're so tenacious. And it's a big-time like, attorney, right? you know how many people right? give up? Like, you're an attorney. Well, that's whatever. That's, yeah. I'm sure that's the answer that probably thousands of people got over the decades right. that tried to trademark it. And they probably went, oh, well, there you go. That makes sense. That's why you can't trademark it. I said, well, that's the wrong answer. And he goes, well, that, that's the answer. And I said, well, I don't like it. And he said, well, I don't know what you want me to say. I said, is this an attorney in D.C. telling you this? He goes, yeah, at the trademark office. I said, ask him where he thinks it is. He goes, well, what do you mean? I go, I want to know where he thinks it is. Because the geographical location, I said, nobody pays taxes to the Redneck Riviera. You can't mail a letter to the Redneck Riviera. Nobody's address is the Redneck Riviera. GPS doesn't have Redneck Riviera. So I want to know where he thinks it is. He comes back, this attorney. This takes months, by the way. It's not like you're having a quick chat. I've done trademark stuff before. It it does not happen quickly. It takes a long time. It's the government. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, uh, the guy copies and pastes the Wikipedia answer to where is the Redneck Riviera. I actually have it framed and hang it on the wall in my office at home. Redneck Riviera is a colloquial term used to describe the beachfront between Destin, Florida and Gulf Shores, Alabama, otherwise known as the Emerald Coast. That was his answer, mm-hmm. which is Wikipedia's answer. And I said, no, it's not, and I can prove it. Yeah, that's the Redneck Riviera, but what about Myrtle Beach? What about right. South Padre Island, Texas? Yeah, Galveston. What yeah. about Galveston? And so I go online, brother, and I start finding people all over the United States and even some people outside of the United States, like Australia, calling that the Redneck Riviera. I found, I think the one that broke the trademark guy's back was a Facebook post that I found of this woman. 
and she's got her feet propped up and a, holding a beer, and the sun's going down into the ocean. And she says, another, another beautiful sunset here in the Redneck Riviera in Delaware. <laughs> yep, that's not, uh, that's not the end of the So I went that's back to the... the trademark office with all that intel, and I said, Redneck Riviera is the same place Margaritaville is. It's just a different group of people, a little different tribe mm-hmm. running down through there. It's a state of mind. It's a lifestyle. It is not a geographical location. And stamp, got the first trademark on that's apparel. That's so awesome. And that was 11 years ago. So... I guess the no-brainer. So we, I know why you use the name on the whiskey because because you have the name. It's a great name, right? right. Um, where where do you come from? Going, we're going to sell clothes, and I know you you have a bar, and you you know that makes sense. Boots, boots. Yeah. But how do you get to whiskey? You know. Well, so you know, you go back to the original meaning of Redneck Riviera, which is a play on the French Riviera, because mm-hmm. one you can afford to go to, and one you can't. And, you know, growing up pretty lean in Texas, I remember there wasn't a lot of extra money left over for anything. So whatever money you did have left over, you want to get the best possible thing you can get for that, no matter what it is, a pair of blue jeans or a vacation or whatever it is you're trying to get. So I thought, man, this is a real opportunity to create a real premium line of products, whether it's the boots or the experience you have at the bar or whatever, and make it affordable simultaneously. And so I've always been a crown royal drinker, as you know. Even Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy says, buy the bar a double round of crown, crown, and everybody's getting down. Always drink crown royal, which is Canadian blended whiskey. And I, I thought one day, I wonder if there's such a thing as American blended whiskey. If there is, I don't know what it is. I walked into a couple of liquor stores in Nashville and asked them to show me their American blended whiskey. And they said, we don't have anything called that. I'm talking like the big stores. Right. We don't have anything called that. I went, you got to be kidding me. So I said, I'm going to see if I can figure this out because I like whiskey. I'm kind of like you. I'm probably not as versed as you are, but I enjoy a lot of different kinds of whiskeys depending yeah. on what I feel I'm like I'm not drinking. a whiskey expert. I just really like to drink it. That's right. how I got and the And they're nickname. all different. That's it. Yeah. They're all different. They all have their own signatures, you know. And so I got with a, a master distiller named Mel Heim, and she's one of the only female master distillers in America. As a songwriter, I, I love writing with the female because you get both sides of the story and you get that, you know, their perception of the subject comes strongly into that song. You wind up with a better product. At least I do. And so I, I was really intrigued by Mel and working with her and, and, and her guy, Travis Shoney. So they're in Portland, Oregon, which is about as far as you can get away from anything redneck, right? But they're great. They it, have rednecks in Oregon. Oh, they do. <laughs> Not necessarily Portland specific. No. If they're If they're in Portland, they're hiding probably, but... But you get my drift. Not exactly who you'd think I'd work with, but I was working with them because they're great. And I said, I want to create an American blended whiskey that is the smoothest whiskey on the shelf. And I want it to be as premium as you can have a whiskey. And I want it to be under $25 a bottle. And she said, that's quite a homework assignment. What's your favorite whiskey? I said, Crown Royal. She goes, this is not going to be easy. Well, why is that? Well, because in Canada... They can blend things and call it whiskey that's not necessarily 100% whiskey, right. but in America, to put whiskey on the bottle, it's got to be 100% whiskey. So we have a very limited palate that we can work with to try to get this done, but what the hell, let's go for it. So eight and a half months, we went through the process. I love how—I don't want to blast past that. No, go ahead. It's not something that you just— 
told these guys, I want to put my name on a whiskey. And they right. went, here's a whiskey we don't have a name for yet. And right. we just slap your name on it. Or like that same exact whiskey might yeah. be in nine different bottles. Yeah, exactly. No. no. I wanted a one-of-a-kinder, a proprietary blend, something nobody had ever done, and something that nobody else could replicate because it's a secret blend of what that is. So after eight and a half months, I finally got down to one sample because they were sending anywhere from 15 to 30 samples out of whack as I'm narrowing down what I wanted. Finally got down to one sample. I smelled it. I went, that's what it's supposed to smell like. I sipped it. I went, that's what it's supposed to taste like. The finish. Yep, that's the finish. And then I lived with it for three or four more days and did it again. I went, that's it. And I called them. I said, I think we finally figured it out. And they're like, well, thank God we can finally start selling some whiskey. And I said, yeah, hang on a minute. I got to run it by Granny Rich first. <laughs> and that, that's where Granny came into play. And she had the same reaction that you've had, that I've had on this whiskey. She goes, that might be the smoothest, best tasting whiskey I ever drank. She said, and I ain't even kidding you, like your granny would say. <laughs> like exactly. And uh, when it was Granny Rich approved, I, I called them up. I said, it's Granny Rich approved. Let's go. That was, uh, we shipped our first case. January 2018, and we're now in 44 states. Wow. I, for people who don't know a lot about whiskey, there are a lot of American whiskeys, but the big ones, they only make their whiskey and they they don't mix it with anything. Right. So, you know, we all know Jack Daniels and Beam and all the different bourbons. Mm-hmm. And now there's whiskeys all over the country. But what they do in Scotland, which is where even more than you're talking about Crown, I'm a Scotch guy, and in Scotland they have single bear or uh, single malts mm-hmm. which is jack daniels is a single malt we don't call it that because right. it's jack daniels but they make one malt of jack daniels and they put it in barrels and they take it out of the barrels and mix it together and put it in bottles yeah. it's the same thing they do in scotland at glenfiddich or you know yagavula it's always the same yeah. every single time right. yeah so the blended scotches like johnny walker's they take different barrels from different regions and with different flavors, and they mix their, they don't make their own whiskey. They right. just take, buy all these barrels and then they mix it together, and then they get this perfect kind of right. flavor that they, that they got a recipe for. Right. You know, Johnny Walker usually gets four different regions of, of scotch mm-hmm. from the different, and that's how they get it to taste. It, you know, some people really, listen, single malts are a thing, and there are people who really love them. I, I've always loved blended scotches because I feel like, they kind of nail it a little better. Right, right. And it's a little bit smoother. It's like the best of all the different worlds right. married up. So yeah. that's what I thought of when I first tasted the Redneck Riviera was, it's got kind of a scotch quality. It's mm-hmm. got this, it's got a little bit of all these different things. And there isn't an American whiskey like that. Right. So you really... It's a new thing. I mean, you think there's no new thing under the sun, but that is actually a new thing. An American blended whiskey, which no one, I I can't believe there wasn't a point where somebody didn't go, you know why? It's because the bourbon people don't talk to the Tennessee people, (laughs) don't talk to the West Coast people. Like nobody wanted to mix anything up. Right. And, you know, there, there, there may be brands out there that technically are, would be blends of American whiskey, mm-hmm. but I can't name what they are. I don't right. know what it is. They haven't, they haven't seized on that as something to be proud of. And I, I kind of thought it was poetic to source whiskeys from lots of different places around the United States. I mean, some of this whiskey is sourced out of Indiana, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, places you wouldn't even think of, but they have the particular ingredient we were looking for to make this whiskey do what it does. Well, and where you make whiskey not just what you make it out of but where you put it in the barrel and leave it 
has a very distinct effect on the taste. Mm-hmm. That's why all bourbon is made in one area in Kentucky. Right. Because of the, the type of corn they use, the type of water they use, but also the atmosphere when they leave oh, it yeah. in the barrels and the air and everything. Well, the soil has, that know. that corn was grown in mm-hmm. is different than the soil other corn is grown in. So, it's not unlike wine. Getting, you know? getting whiskeys from different regions does give this kind of an original mm-hmm. thing. So how do you... How do you launch something new like that? I mean, you you know you haven't taken this lightly. Difficult, like I, you know. <laughs> it's difficult. The crazy thing is, a lot of people, and there there are a handful of uh, country musicians and other folks who have their own brand of whiskey. But you know, you, you just put your name on something and call it a day. You have taken this thing with both horns mm-hmm. and gone around the country. I mean, you're really trying to make sure everyone knows about this, right? Is it working? Or do you see? Have you seen? Growth from, you know, month one to month two to now we're in year two? Yeah, so, you know, I'm in the music business, so I know how to draw parallels in music. Like, what's my success rate based on the last 30 years of music? Right. Where am I kind of at with a a song or a record or whatever? Whiskey, I wasn't really sure about that, but now I know. I'm learned, right? And you you know me long enough to know when I don't know something— that drives me nuts. I want to learn everything <laughs> exactly. I learn. Get with yeah. the smartest people. Tell me everything you know. I got a million questions. And so, um, Redneck Revere whiskey uh, in 2018 shipped right about 15,000 cases. The goal uh, for a new, any new brand is if you can hit somewhere around four to five thousand cases, people are going, "Holy cow, that's a lot that's for yeah. our first year." So we over tripled what our goal was. And this year, uh, the goal is to hit 50,000 cases. Wow. And so what's happening is, is because it's under 25 bucks, that's another thing. When you own it, you get to determine where the price point is. And my distiller said, this whiskey is winning awards, John. I said, yeah, no, I saw that. The Los Angeles Whiskey Expo, Blind Taste, Redneck Revere Whiskey takes the gold medal. Wow. You probably didn't even know that. So stuff like that's going on. And they said, we could probably get $60 a bottle for this whiskey. I said, yeah, you probably could, but where I come from, people don't have $60 to spend on a bottle of anything. And if you Mm -hmm. go back to the phrase, work hard, play hard, redneck Riviera versus French Riviera, the whole point is, can we give them something that's worth $60 a bottle but charge them $24.99 and let the working class of this country drink the good stuff? They shouldn't have to drink the cheap stuff just because they can't afford the good stuff. Let's Let's make the good stuff affordable. Well... When you start getting the word out about that and retailers like Walmart and Costco and Kroger and Myers and Albertsons and Safeway and Vons and on and Winn-Dixie, Winn-Dixie and on I and know. on and on, yeah. I go to those meetings in person. I don't sit at the house and go, hey, good luck, guys. I get on a plane. I fly to Jacksonville. I meet with Winn-Dixie. Well, I tell I them what I'm you, telling you. Or, and I follow your, oh, yeah. the whiskey on Instagram, and I feel like every time you're not you know, on the road doing music for the weekend, you're out. Pimp and whiskey. Yeah. Well, you know, I just, just, I hope that just coined that. Pimp and whiskey. That's a good, that sounds like a good, fun job. Well, there's a lot, you know, if you want to be successful, I've always said, you need, it's just like music. How many, how many radio stations have I sat in with somebody and I got a new song and I sing them the song and tell them why I think it's going to be a hit and why their audience is going to like it and mm-hmm. why they ought to be playing my song when there's a hundred other guys standing in line about to tell them the same thing. You bring a new whiskey to the market, brother, you're up against the biggest companies in the world. Right. But I think because mine is unique, it's a one of a kind thing. And because I put it under 25 bucks and because I give 10% of the profits back to the folds of honor and have now written those checks and people know that I wasn't kidding, 
you start adding all that up together and the message, the narrative around the brand really starts to hit home with people. You know, I, and I do want to talk about music and bars and a couple other things, but, you know, I feel like because it's Five Whiskey Patrick, we should start and end with the whiskey. So what is the difference between Redneck Riviera and the Granny Ridge? And Granny. What, well, first of all, isn't it cool to walk into a bar and go, give me a shot of Granny Chilled? <laughs> Give me a Granny and Coke, which I've never seen anybody. By make the way, is that actually. Granny Rich's actual signature? That's, gr- that's Granny's the, uh... actual signature, and if you turn the bottle around, you'll see an actual uh, oh. sketching of Granny on the back. <laughs> they have a little etching of Granny. And then on I there. I wrote the phraseology underneath her picture. If you if you want to read it, yeah, I, I want to say on a side note, I, I I've never met your grandmother through you, right? I'm, but I I live out in Jolton. In Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, she—I don't know if she still has the shop in she Ashland does. City, but forty, 40 hours a week. Bring, so at yeah. one point, I was as fat as I am now, and I lost about you know seventy pounds. Right, and uh, I needed to have some clothes taken in, and I was looking for. Does anyone still do alterations? <laughs> and there was a one person, and it was your grandmother yeah. who helped me fit into my clothes. And then she, you know, she took them all in and made them skinny, and then right. now I can't wear them anymore because I got fat again. <laughs> but. Um, so, yeah, I've had a few interactions with Granny Rich that yeah. had nothing to do with you. You know, she still she runs that business by herself, has no assistant. She lives by herself. She's run the business now 19 years. Uh, she 87 locked, years old. She's 87 as of uh, Valentine's Day this year, which is when we launched her whiskey. She got her first royalty check that night because we already had 10 states that had already made orders on her whiskey. She got her <laughs> royalty check, bro. And you should have seen the look on her face as she's smoking her third Marlboro Red <laughs> in about 30 minutes. You know, Granny... Kids, Granny, don't smoke Marlboro Red. She is uh, the <laughs> essence of work hard, play hard. She is it. This says, My Granny Rich has lived through the Dust Bowl days, the Great Depression, and World War II. Through it all, she's remained a work hard, play hard, freedom-loving woman with an American spirit as strong as the West Texas wind she grew up with. Granny Rich Reserve is her drink of choice. As is little more, as it is a little more, as it, I'm sorry, it's smudged here off, as it is a little more aged and refined, just like she is. Here's to you, Granny. This is such a loving tribute. It really is, you know, a special woman. I know it enshrines Granny, and it it is something that that she really loves. She loves to go work all day, and then when she's through working, she'll go home, put her feet up, have a little sip of whiskey, watch mash reruns or whatever she wants to do. The Hallmark Channel. The Hallmark you know, Channel. That's and great. Uh, go to bed, gets up the next morning, goes back to work. What's the price point on uh, Granny Rich Reserve? Gra- uh, Granny Reserve is thirty nine ninety nine. Okay. But see, that's still, I mean. It's still under all the other reserves. This is. It's. I mean, the nose on that is so good. So though. good. This yeah. is this is up there with, you know, single malt reserve whiskeys that they make, you know, of all the different high-end American products. Everybody's got now, you've got. Your sure your shelf regular brand and then your reserve right. This is uh, you know Jack's got Gentleman Jack and right. Crown's got Crown Reserve and yeah they've all got that and but it's under forty bucks for the reserve which is pretty cool. You know I'm a I'm a Scotch person I'm a Jack Daniels guy uh, in the past and my family back home they all drink Crown Royal mm. they just it's it's a thing you know South Louisiana they just oh, yeah. all drink and so. The, those were the first people I called in. Because I used to make fun of them. They'd show up at the beach in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Right. No, not just saying that because 
you're here. That's where we go every year. And we sit there, and, they, and I'm drinking Jack Daniels, and they're drinking Crown Royal, and right. I'm like, that's un-American. It really is. <laughs> like, I don't want to be insulting, but Crown Royal, you know, they don't sponsor this show, so I don't care. Uh, and neither does John, by the way. So I'm not getting paid to say any of this. But I was always giving them crap about, you know, and they're like, well, I like this whiskey because it's smoother. So the right. first people I went home last year, or I went to the beach last year, and I brought Two bottles of Redneck right. Review. It didn't make it through the second day. And you it know, was gone. and down there, the first grocery store chain that ever took on my whiskey was Rouse's Grocery oh, in yeah. Louisiana. Louisiana. At Donnie Rouse. And so, uh, it, it's all, yeah, it's all over Louisiana. But I think there's something to that for crown drinkers like myself. You're like, well, mm-hmm. try this other one. Yeah. Like, if you like crown, check this one out. This one's pretty interesting. And, you know, if I don't have any Redneck around, I'll still drink Crown Royal, but I always have Redneck around. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> It helps, but, but you get my drift. I mean, you, crown. When it's your whiskey, you know, I feel like you can right. keep it around all the time. Well, like Big Kenny, you know, he was like, I don't know if, what this is going to be like, and I watched him drink it for the first time on the bus, and his eyebrows raised up. He went, "Holy cow, that is smooth." I went, "Right." He went, "Pour me some more of that," you know, and and that's you know, Cowboy Troy, the whole band. I mean, it's really cool that you know you have to have a great product, man. You can you can hype something as much as you want. Right. But the product ultimately has to sell itself, and that's what's happening with Redneck right now. Is people like yourself are telling your cousins, "You got to try this bottle." They try it and love it. They tell their friends. They try it and love it. They tell their friends. That's how we're experiencing this starts. kind of and growth then you right now. You can come back to it because it's twenty five dollars a bottle. Right. It's not going to hurt you. That's. Yep. I think you should. I'm, have gone, pr- I'm proud of that, man. I'm proud that it's under twenty five. I'm just nah. saying. <laughs> I, I'm proud of where it's at, dude, because. Like I said, the, the working class of this country, they're, they're truly the great part of our country. They're the backbone. They're the turbines that make the country move. And if anybody needs a good drink at, on the weekend, it's those men and women doing those jobs. And, Absolutely. And at twenty four ninety five, they can afford that. Um, now, I know you came here because I asked you to because you're a nice guy. Uh, and you, you, we have a show where we drink whiskey and you make whiskey. So it was a natural fit. <laughs> Makes sense. But I do want to ask you a couple of other things. Um you opened a bar in downtown Nashville, which seems to be the thing to do now. Mm-hmm. But is, you have another bar in – did you have another bar? Vegas. In Vegas? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's a Redneck Riviera at 3rd and Broadway downtown. Mm-hmm. I was actually – I had a little gig at the Wild Horse last night for this company that was in town. I said, I'm just going to pop by my bar for a minute, and I walk in, and I mean, it is just insane packed. I went the first weekend it opened, and it stands out. It really does. Yeah. There's so much going on on Lower Broadway in Nashville now Mm -hmm. that you have to have something. I don't know. It just feels like a cooler environment. Well, it feels like a bar. You know, (laughs) I mean, you know, which some of these bars, some of the bars are pretty high tech, you know, which that's cool. There's a lot of restaurant where we also serve whiskey. No, it's not. a bar. No, mine's a bar. But, you know, in, inside the Redneck Riviera, you probably noticed there's a giant American flag behind the bar made out of beer cans. Yes. Okay, we call that bar the Heroes Bar. So if you look down in the face of that bar, like where you'd set your drink down, in, inside of there, laminated, you know, down inside the, the resin on the top of the bar are military coins. And if you don't know what a military coin is out there, that's like a guy that in the 173rd Airborne Brigade Division, he might have a coin in his mm-hmm. hand, and if he likes you, he shakes your hand, and that coin will be in his and hand. You, we call them challenge coins. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a the highest compliment they could give somebody would be to hand them a coin. So we've got military coins all up and down through the bars, and if you're active duty or a veteran or a first responder, 
uh, my, my staff rolls out the carpet. Like they just start pouring you drinks. And so last night when I popped in for like 20 minutes, I said, how many active duty or veterans do we have in the house? And buddy, it was wall to wall vets and active duty. And it says, God bless our troops across the top of my mm-hmm. door. And we have the American flag and the Gaston flag flying high above the building. Unapologetically and, American. Absolutely. You don't, you don't have to apologize being an no. American. Well, you know, I mean, that's a well, kind of some, thing some people act like now. they need yeah. to, but you know what? If they want to do that, they don't have to come visit they, me. They don't have to go to your bar. No, and I'm not. You know, I ain't mad at them. I just, I'm. Listen, I never thought in a million years I'd have a bar on Broadway. I never thought in a million years I would even have a hit song. I never thought any of this would happen. I knew I was going for it, but I think because you wake up in America, it doesn't. The Constitution doesn't guarantee you happiness. It guarantees you the right to pursue happiness. Right. And that's what people are forgetting in this country. And when they think, well, I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied, I don't have everything I need or everything I want. Well, you're not guaranteed that in this country. You're guaranteed the right to go work as hard as you want, dream as big as you can, and go for it. And in the pursuit of happiness should be your happiness, that you at least got the right to go yeah. for it. A lot of people around this world don't have the right to go for it. They're going to do whatever their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents did for generations because those governments don't allow their people to flourish like they do That's right. You know, you could rest on your laurels because you had a, you had a substantial number of hits and you had some success, you know, on the radio yourself, mm-hmm. but you also were a big-time hit producer and one of the biggest songwriters of the last 15 years in this town. So... I mean, I want to say you rich, but I mean, you know, you John Rich. You could just, you, you know what I mean? Like you, why you didn't have to go? Well, I'm going to start an apparel company, and I'm going to open a bar, and I'm going to make my own whiskey. Sure, but I, I feel like you just live for that, you know, new thing, that a challenge, drives, you a know? challenge. Well, and I cue off of Granny Rich. You know, we're just talking about her. She doesn't have to do anything either. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. She really don't have to she get up have to and, do anything. and go to work every day. No, at her age. She enjoys know? working. If you ask Granny, Granny. Why are you still working 40 hours a week at 87 years old? And as she's puffing on that cigarette next to her sewing machine, she'll say, because I can, and that's what you're supposed to do when you live in this country. And she'll give you that look like, don't ask me that question twice. Like, it's almost (laughs) offensive to her that (laughs) you would ask her why she's still working. And so... To, to be able to work is a is a pleasure. It's a it's a privilege to be able to work. It's a privilege to be able to 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 produce and go after something that you want to go after. Whether you whether you ever get it or not, who knows? But you got the right to go for it. So don't be bitching and complaining about our country. And that's you know if you don't like it that much, I do agree. Go live somewhere else and see how you like it. You won't. You'll be back here soon. This country doesn't tell us how far we can go. No, it doesn't. Um, We've had you as a guest on on the other radio shows that I'm a part of many times. But usually when you come in, it's because you have new new music or a new project or something that we want to talk about. Uh, because this is long form in a podcast and I can kind of go anywhere with this, I want to go back 15 years just for a minute. Because I remember I first moved to town just a little over 15 years ago. And uh, I knew who you were. Because you had you'd been in Lone Star, you right. had a solo career, mm-hmm. uh, and I, we met, crossed paths in Baton Rouge a couple of times when I lived down there. We came to town, and a buddy of mine named David Haley, who was working at Warner Brothers Records. I called him Lips. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He had the best thing. Hey, man, what's up? You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it was, uh, what was it? He called everybody Daddy. Hey, Daddy. Daddy. Hey, Daddy. Uh, so he would, he said... 
what are you doing tonight? And I said, oh, not, you know, I just moved here. He goes, well, uh, I think you ought to come down. There's uh, this John, you know John Rich? And I said, yeah, I remember John Rich, yeah. He goes, well, he's got this thing going on down at this bar, and uh, it's something special. You might want to see this mm-hmm. before it becomes a thing. And I was like, okay. And I went, and it was packed. It wasn't like nobody had heard about Music Mafia. Right. It was a thing already. Yeah. And I saw you and Kenny sing Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy, and I remember thinking, Oh my God, that was a, that was one of the ten coolest things I ever saw, <laughs> and then it immediately got blown out. No offense, because you brought some girl up on stage, bartender, yeah, and she sang straight on to you by um, Heart. Heart, thank you. I was drawing a blank there, and it was Gretchen Wilson. Uh huh. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, who was that? Right. Then you made her sing a Led Zeppelin song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's funny is I was at your house for a party because John has parties at his house because he's freaking cool. Uh, <laughs> John, side note, John's house is I'm the a coolest. people person. Yeah, bro. he's a people, I'm a people person. person. John's house is the coolest house in all of Nashville. Um, so and you and I remember thinking she did the same three songs I saw her do that first night. She did Stray On to You and then she did Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and then she did Redneck Woman. And I, I just remember that feeling of. I think both of those songs are going to change country music mm. forever. And to this day, and I don't know that I've ever gotten a chance to really tell you this because we're always in the middle of other things, Horse of a Different Color is one of the best albums, front to back, that has come out of this town in the last 20 years. It And it was an absolute turning point in the sound of country music. Mm. So I remember thinking at the time that I'd never heard an album that sounded like that. You guys had a big release party at um, at the Cannery Ballroom, mm-hmm. or Mercy Lounge. Yep. And Paul Worley, who had produced the record, and I went up to him and I said, "Do you know what? Do you know what you've done?" He goes, <laughs> "No, I don't think so." <laughs> He's <laughs> like, "I don't know what's going to happen." He goes, "I said this is this is different. If people buy this, if people listen to this, if people play this on the radio, things are going to change." Mm. And I think it did. I think you really ushered in. There's no Jason Aldean. There's no, you know, not all these sounds that, that have kind of come. The guys who are still doing the rocking kind of country. Mm-hmm. I think that you guys ushered that sound in. Well, you know, that's a huge compliment. Uh, I, Sorry I to that, put you on the spot. No, and, I mean, I, I remember, that, but, you know, Big Kenny, uh, one reason I was no longer in Lone Star is because what, the kind of music I was hearing in my head that I wanted to record wasn't on the radio, mm-hmm. wasn't something Lone Star was going to do. And so I wasn't in that band any longer, you know, once that became apparent. And then I meet this crazy guy, Big Kenny, who, when I told him, you know what, man, wouldn't it be cool to have a record that was like, sounds like ACDC with a banjo and a fiddle? Exactly. And he went, that'd be so cool. And he was the first guy that ever said, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. We should write stuff like that. And so I went, wow, this guy... He sounds like he's into it. And, of course, then you throw the Big Kenny factor into songwriting, and you get some of the most creative, insane lyrics of all time. And when Paul Worley signed us to Warner Brothers, because he he was running that record label, we were his Mm -hmm. first signing. He was like, this is either going to be huge or I'm going to get laughed out of town. I don't know what's going to happen. I remember some of the reviews were like, is this a joke? Like, this is not serious music. This has no place in Nashville, whatever. But the music mafia's 
that was our validation because you saw how packed it was and none of us had anything going on outside of Nashville. Mm-hmm. It really, I think, opened up uh, a lot of artists' um, confidence level that their wildest imagination about what their music could sound like, well, man, if Big and Rich can do that, maybe exactly. I can do what I've always wanted to do too. Maybe maybe it's possible now. And and I think you saw a lot of artists come in just with a lot of confidence uh, off watching you know, Gretchen hit her thing. Remember, the female side was really slick, really pop. It was Shania Twain. It was the really, really. Right. And Gretchen told me the day we wrote Redneck Riviera before we started writing it. Redneck Woman. Yeah. I'm sorry, so, yeah. Redneck Woman. And to me, Redneck's in my life. <laughs> and uh, we're watching CMT and getting ready to write. And she's sitting there with her wife beater tank top on and a ponytail and a ball cap and a dip. She <laughs> Copenhagen, of course, spitting in a cup, and she points at my TV and she goes, "I ain't ever going to be able to do that." And I said, "Do what?" And she points at the TV and it's Faith Hill singing "Breathe." Yeah, remember that video? Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, gorgeous, right? The whole thing, slick and beautiful video. She goes, "I ain't ever going to be slick and pretty and pop like that. I can't do that. That's what it takes." I said, Gretchen, I said, if it was me, whatever you think is imperfect about yourself, you should put a magnifying glass on it because. Tens of millions of other women will go, bingo, that's me. She's she's me, I'm her. They will connect with you if you'll ever be willing to write those kind of lyrics. And she, I said, look at, you know, uh, Loretta Lynn. I mean, she mm-hmm. wrote those kind of lyrics. Tanya Tucker sang those kind of lyrics. Do that. She goes, well, all right, what the hell, let's give it a shot. She goes, I ain't nothing but a redneck woman. And I went, well, there's our title right there, Redneck Woman. And about 45 minutes later, we had written that song. Was it just the two of you? Just me and Gretchen wrote that. that. I mean, you wrote one of the biggest hits of all time. I mean, <laughs> it's a yeah. I mean, it's a standard. I think that yeah. that one and Save Horse Ride a Cowboy, and then and then Big Kenny and I and our friend Vicky McGee. He, uh, we had been up late the night before, so we were a little foggy headed and decided, wouldn't it be funny if we ever got the phrase "butt crack" on country radio? <sighs> and that was the whole challenge that day. Can we get "butt crack" into a song? And so we wrote, in a hick town, oh my gosh. see the neighbor's butt crack, nailing on his shingles. Like watching Laura Ingalls. I mean, what? like the craziest stuff you ever heard. But Aldine hears it and goes, man, I love that song. I'm cutting it. I was like, really? <laughs> you want to wreck your career right out of the gate? I wrote that as a, as a joke, but okay. So anyway, I, I think a lot of that goes into it. Just that reckless abandon, let your mind wander, and just don't... Don't ever think that something's impossible just because it hadn't been done before. I've gotten to ask. Uh, I'm I'm really a, a fan of songwriting. I know most people in this town are, but I feel like this is being listened to by people all over the country. Songwriting is something that you just take for granted. You hear the song on the radio, you like it, you know. You don't. But here in Nashville, we really we praise the songwriters. Mm-hmm. We 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 see them. We know their names. We know who wrote all the songs. I've been blessed to just in a quiet moment be able to sit. Um, with some people who wrote some of my favorite songs of all time, some of the biggest hits ever, and go, oh my God, what was, you know. Mm-hmm. The first time I did that um, was with Brett Michaels about 15 years ago. We we had had him on the show, and when it got to this quiet moment where the guys had gone out to get coffee, and we were just sitting there, the two of us, and I went, dude, what, like when Bill and Ted died in Bill and Ted, the second movie, the sequel, and they go to heaven and meet God. They he asks them the meaning of life, and they quote, mm-hmm. "Every rose has its thorn." Right. Like what? How did you write that? And you know what he said? He said he was in a laundromat on the road doing his doing laundry because they had a show again the next night. Mm-hmm. And he called 
and the girl he was dating at the time and heard and another guy answered the phone. Oh boy. And like and then, so he just hung up the phone and he wrote this song right there at the laundromat. At the laundromat. Wow. And I asked uh, Earl Bud Lee one time mm-hmm. he had asked me to go to lunch to ask me about a cup of something and I and at the end of it I just said, "Dude, like you wrote friends in low places." Right. Like, do you realize you wrote friends in low places? And I was so <laughs> do worried. Do you understand that, what you've done? I was so worried that he was going to say, "Well, it was a Tuesday, and we needed a drinking song, so we were over at BMI." Like, you know, and you hear that story. Some kind and of there's nothing wrong with story, that, right, yeah. Right. But no, he goes. He was in a bar, and he couldn't pay the tab, and he realized that, that he would be okay because he had a friend in, in low places. He had the, he knew the cook, right? So that you know, at least the cook would vouch for him, and he, you know pay it next week yeah because he had left his wallet or something and then he wrote down friends in low places on a napkin and then went and wrote the rest of that song later with some with i I just that's what you want to hear so when you tell that story about redneck woman i think that's yeah that was i mean you didn't set out to go let's make a hit no you said let's tell some truth write your song let's write gretchen let's let everything that you that you think is something they don't want to hear about blow it up magnify it Mm mm-hmm and let's see. And we were right. You know, millions of people, even guys go, that's the kind of girl I'd like to hang out with. You know, and you go back to the Loretta Lynn's and the pill. And Dolly right. Parton has written lyrics that are so yeah. raw, man. There's a reason Jolene stands the She's admitting time that Jolene is hotter than exactly. her. Exactly. How many women are comfortable enough with themselves? First of all, how hot did Jolene have, have to, to be, be to be hotter than Dolly Parton? Let's get to the real story. Let's real talk My about God. that. Man, yeah. Can you imagine 1968 Dolly Parton? Well, now I th- Jolene must have been some kind of firecracker. That's the, be- the that's the, the reason that song resonates. The real country music, you know. Jamie Johnson uh, and James Otto are both friends of mine, and Jamie was at my house the other night for a fundraiser we were doing. Same house we have parties in. Right. We also raise a lot of money there too. But Jamie Johnson's up there and he sings in color. And I'm telling you, bro, if if, if it bring a tear to a glass eye, that song. <laughs> It does. Because the way he, t- everybody's seen those old black and white pictures of their grandparents, great grandparents, yep. and you're trying to imagine what that must have been like, like World War II or something. And he goes, Yeah, you should have seen it in color. What a statement, man. Such a great line. And that's what Na- why Nashville will never, it can't be duplicated. That's why everybody moves here that's a creative songwriter type person because they know the bar is as high as it gets in this town. And, and these songwriters, they're walking around, they are, they are, they are, psychological monsters as far as how they can write a song man i mean they are they are albert einstein's they are so brilliant and how they can craft three i love minutes. how you're talking about it like 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 it's other people because it's it's you well I, I mean i look at i look at some of these guys and i mean they're walking around like you would never think this guy's anything or this girl's anything mm-hmm. out of the ordinary but down in their brain and what they're able to bring forth is absolute magic and chemistry and Things that ignite tens of millions of people for multiple decades. I mean, that's the big stuff. I I remember I've, all I've ever done is country radio. I mean, this is I started when I was twenty years old, working in country radio. It's like three days after my twentieth birthday, and I'm gonna be forty this year. And so this is all I, you know, country music. It's it's all I know. But I, if you had to pick, you know, people who understand this format, I'm probably in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I'd only been doing it for about five years, but I remember when Redneck Woman hit, and all of a sudden it was on the radio, and it was like, "Oh, this is gonna be different. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be bigger than this is gonna be bigger than anything." Yeah, you know. And 
I just, like I said, I can't imagine what that must have felt like for you. And then, of course, your album is out at the same time. And Hicktown was you know, out at the same Hicktown time. And Hicktown was out at the Hicktown, same time. Hicktown, Redneck Woman, and Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy all went for ads the same month oh my in goodness. 2004. And by going for ads, if you're listening, that means you put it out at radio. It, and yeah. if a station plays it, they're an ad, yeah. right? They all went out the same week, same month. Yeah. What were you doing a month before that? Like, like you, you know, I mean, you... Just living in an apartment in Nashville, yeah. and all of a sudden you're Akron Avenue three. in a little little <laughs> little two bedroom apartment. There was actually a guy um, who was my basketball coach in Texas back when I was in like seventh, eighth, ninth grade in Amarillo, Texas, that I'd kept in contact with throughout the Lone Star years and all that. And he was a farmer and coached on the side to make extra money. And coming to find out, the guy's a amateur songwriter. And he wanted to come to Nashville and see if I could introduce him to anybody. Wanted me to listen to his songs, see if I thought they were any good. Would I write some songs with him? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, coach, come on. I still call him coach. In the time you're talking about, this guy was driving 1,000 miles one way from Amarillo down I-40 to Nashville and spending about four or five days out of a month staying in my spare bedroom. Well, that guy now has a display at the Country Music Hall of Fame as a songwriter. His name's Rodney Clawson. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Was my coach. And is now arguably the biggest songwriter in the past decade. I don't know who's written more hits than Rodney. And so he's in the top five uh, for sure. It's just sheer numbers of, all of time, number ones. Yeah. Of all time. Yeah. So, you know, he was a farmer in Texas that taught me how to shoot a free throw. And, but in my little apartment, I said, well, it ain't fancy, but I got a spare bedroom. He goes, that'd work for me. You know, and guys like Cowboy Troy, who were selling shoes at a footlocker in Texas, who raps to country music, big black guy in a cowboy hat, what's this? And I go, I'm the anomaly chaser, man. I love the the anomalies out there because you're right. They'll either do nothing, but if they ever catch on, brother, you got a brand new thing, it, which is like what the whiskey is. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a real anomaly of a whiskey. Like it's hard to describe exactly what that is unless right. you taste it. You, you literally know? just have to get people to pour a glass and really try Somebody's got to have enough nerve to to create it and then stick it out there with force and confidence and go, I'm telling you, you need to listen to this. I'm telling you, you need to try this, you know. And then you see what happens. The public always dictates who wins and who doesn't. Uh, You and I have a mutual friend um, that you're – it's just one of these rare things. When I first uh, left the corporate radio gig and we started this company about just over five years ago – um, I met this girl who was like 19 years old who sang country music, and she was from England. And I thought that was just fascinating because mm-hmm. she, she talks and she's got it's really thick British accent, and then she sings and she sounds like you know every yeah. just a country singer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's great. So we brought her in and had her on the air, and we've been friends for years now. I uh, I've even taken to her a couple of shows when she'd be in town when she didn't live here. She'd travel in and mm-hmm. be like, you know what? I've, I've got an extra ticket to this, and you love country music. Let's right. you know do this. And uh, introduced her to Jason Aldean at some party. I remember she was so shy. She didn't want to ask. She was like, I want to ask him for a picture, but I can't. I'm like, I, I got you. <laughs> for a Jason. photo. Yeah, <laughs> for a photo. Jason, will you take a picture with this girl? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing, because <laughs> yeah, I don't man. care. Uh, and then I noticed I follow her on all the social media, too, and her name's Sasha McVeigh. She's She sings at your bar. One of my favorite ones. Yeah. So yeah. she said, uh, she told you she never had a pair of cowboy boots. Never had a legitimate up, pair of cowboy boots. Yeah. Showed up the next day and brought her a pair of Redneck Riviera yes, boots. Yes, I did. So yep. I just think that's she's great. A, she's fantastic. She's a great talent and uh, uh, we were down there about a week or so ago and I stayed really late. 
one night hanging out with our, our staff, mm-hmm. like our night manager, a couple of the bartenders, and they work their tails off, you know, and the bars closed down. And I said, I'm just going to sit here and talk to everybody. Well, Sasha was still there. And she starts asking me about the music business, you know, and she's, you know, she wants to go do this. She's got the talent, by the way, I think, to really go do it. Mm-hmm. And yes, she's very interesting that she's British. Right. And can sing like that and is the real McCoy like that. So uh, that's cool that you know her, too. I, th- I think she's going to do some good stuff. Yeah, I think it, it gives you something different. Which what, Everybody needs something that makes you different than everybody else if you're going to make it in the entertainment industry. Well, the, the, you the know? music industry is pretty brutal because they looked at a big and rich and horse of a different color and said, that ain't country. <laughs> and that, we heard that from everybody, and I went, oh my well, Kenny grew up on a cattle farm in Virginia, and I grew up in the panhandle of Texas in yeah. a double wide. I mean, that's... Pretty country. They go, yeah, music ain't country. That ain't country. That's not going to work. And I said, yeah, you know who else they said that about? I can go through a list of people. Kenny Rogers. Alabama. Not country. Hank Williams. Not country. Johnny Cash. Definitely not country. country. That guy's out of his mind. He's never going to work in this town. I'm going to get a little... Uh, get in I don't trouble. Wanna, I'm gonna get in trouble, but I, I and you can just stop me if you don't want to go down this road. But I don't want to mention any organizations or anything. But I, I, I feel like in this town, in this industry, and I've lived here for 15 years, and I've all and like I said, I've worked in country music for 20. There's so many people who have this supposed love for country music, but yet they have like this disdain for the audience. Mm. And I'm talking about people in the industry, not any singers or songwriters right. you know. But they, you hear so much, well, country music today is so awful, and country music today is so this, and mm-hmm. I wish it was more like this. And they, and it's some Americana thing that a regular country you know, person, country right. listener out there right. has never heard of and wouldn't understand if you played it for them. You know, yeah, I'm right. not knocking jason isbell i think he's great yeah but me too. if i play that for my brothers who who ride horses and you right. know work in the fields both of them would go what, what else you got what what is he saying i don't understand right right, right. I, it's pretty i guess yeah it sounds country but i don't understand what he's saying right i don't i don't get what he's singing about that's you know there's this disdain of people in the industry for the people who buy the records and mm-hmm. people who show up at the concerts and it's it's bad there's a lot of people who complain about the the music that is popular because but yet they came here to be involved in it and to help make it. Mm-hmm. It's just a really strange thing. It happens. Are you asking me a question? I'm or not. You just... I'm, just, I'm trying, <laughs> trying to just kind of egg you on because I know. Well, I mean, that we've had a conversation in the past of drinking whiskey, probably at your house about you know. There's so much of what's supposed to be country music where there's people who don't like country music, right? Well, that's always been the case. I mean, there's always been uh, people that are really powerful on Music Row that are really not country music fans. Yeah. I mean, that's always been that way. You know, it's the music business. So a lot of times, you know, all the record labels that are in Nashville, well, they're not owned in Nashville. They're owned in New York or they're owned in L.A. or they're owned in Japan, Sony, you know, places like that. And so they're answering to people way on up the food chain. So the, the the big, big guys above them stick people in those jobs that they think can run a company, not necessarily that they're a music fan. Right. Well, that's where you that's where you have a lot of impasse sometimes with creative people, the artists talking to a guy who doesn't understand what they're talking about, doesn't understand their audience, doesn't understand anything about it he's just a good guy to run a company mm-hmm. and that's where i think you know some of the guys in town they should yield to the artist because the artist knows their audience and some of them do yield 
There are some that actually do that are not great music guys or gals, but they'll yield, and some of them that don't. And those are the ones, you know, we butt heads with. Right. But people, it's, it's part of it. I explain it to people like Sasha McVeigh. I go, being a great singer, having a great song, looking good and doing everything you're doing, that's like that. That's the very basic things you have to have. The rest of it that you've got to figure out how to deal with is it, that's who winds up having a 20-year career or a two-month career. Right. Is how you deal with all the other stuff that ain't easy to deal with that's out of your control. Uh in the second episode of this podcast, if you want to go back and check it out, I interviewed an old friend of mine, uh, Gator Michaels. At the time we did that interview, uh, we we told a couple stories about you. Oh boy, uh, he did all good ones. Um, he's a Potawatomi Indian. He's a Potawatomi Indian. He he mentioned that um, Big Kenny uh, thinks it's because the, the, that's where the word pot comes from, because <laughs> uh, he told him that, and mm-hmm. he said, "I hope he never listens to this." So he, he also never thinks finds that out that's about pot stickers or a <laughs> pot of soup. Pretty much um, anything that says pot. Pot in it. Um, at the time we recorded that, it was all past tense that you and he had worked together years ago at Warner Brothers. But uh, turning to current music, you guys mm-hmm. uh, have just worked out a deal. You're going to be working with Gator and his team at Reviver. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. Tell me about the new music. It's it, Well, it's pretty cool. That, you know, Gator was at Warner Brothers when Paul Worley signed us at Warner Brothers. And we came with Save Horse Ride a Cowboy and all that stuff happened. And then as... You know, years go on, people go to other companies and stuff happens, and this is a small town, though, and you wind back up working with them again and got all this history with them. And, you know, the new Big and Rich song, Brand New Buzz, uh, is something that we're playing in our shows, and it it's one of those songs that they hear the chorus the first time, and they know it. That's and the it. second time they hear it, we don't have to see, even sing it anymore. They're singing it to us. It's one of those really cool songs like that. So Gator and his whole team are now our uh, radio promotion team. Well, we um, we have a little poker game uh, here at the studio that we play. It's all music industry people, uh, and we show up once a month, and we mostly just drink and make fun of each other. <laughs> we also play poker. Uh, and the day that was announced, Gator came in and said, we have to drink. Where's the Redneck Riviera oh, whiskey? Right. I have something to celebrate. So <laughs> that's why there's there's very little left in my bottle, because that's it. what we all Gator were drinking got that into night. It. He got into it. Um, but no, it's it's a great song. And I wish you the best with it. And one more time, the whiskey, if you if you love whiskey or if you just kind of like whiskey or maybe you don't like whiskey and you want to try something that's smooth and won't set you on fire, go mm-hmm. get you a bottle of Redneck Riviera and 25 bucks. It's really easy to find it, too. So go to redneckriviera.com if you're at your computer right now or on your phone. And on the front page, it says store locator. You click on that, put in your zip code, and boom, all the stores pop up. We're now in... 44 states if for some reason we're not in a store close by there's another button that says ship it to my house ship it to my house and you can <laughs> click that button and it'll get shipped right to your house john thank you so much i really do appreciate you coming on and telling you know i know you're a busy busy man that owns 17 companies or whatever <laughs> but uh i you know you value friendship and i appreciate you coming by and yes, my sir. podcast that no one listens to and telling this story oh they're listening <laughs> they're listening this was a good one man it's great great conversation and you know fun to talk to uh, people that i've known for this long i mean you you firsthand experienced the music mafia oh i was there there's a lot of people in town that have heard about it and knew about it but not stood in the room watched it go down i was in that room it was magic so i went from by the way it was at one little club and then we outgrew that and had to and you know and moved to bigger 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 clubs yeah yeah and now we're talking about redneck and don't forget the part about folds of honor i know we got a lot of vets and active duty probably listening right now folds of honor 
uh, puts kids through college who lost a parent in combat or a spouse who lost a spouse in combat. They help get them through college. They educate their kids, which is one of the greatest things you could do for somebody who gave the ultimate yes. sacrifice. Redneck Riviera Whiskey in 2018 paid for 43 college scholarships through the Folds That's of awesome. Honor. And we continue that in 2019. And that was only 15,000 cases. That's right. Imagine what you could do with 50. Uh, we're looking to... We're looking to do multiples of that this year and then multiples of that in 2020 and continue on. You can follow John uh, everywhere, but really the easy way right now, just go to RedneckRiviera.com and follow all those brands and see what John's up to. Uh, thank you. Thank I don't want to feel like I'm rushing you out, but no, I, it's I good. promised John that I would get him out of here in time to be home before his kids got home from school. <laughs> That's right. So I'm going to make sure we do that. This uh, podcast, Five Whiskey Patrick, is a service of Compass Media Networks and Silverfish Media. Bye, Keith. Bye, Keith.